Sunstrom Recruitment are the leaders in health and safety recruitment. If you're considering a career change or need to discuss your organisation's hiring, reach out to the team today. We were awarded Recruitment Agency of the Year in Health and Safety in 2023 and are a proud sponsor of Health and Safety Conversations. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. Here's your host, Tom Bourne. And welcome to Health and Safety Conversations. I'm your host, Tom Bourne, and with me today is the amazing Sandra Lamb. Sandra, how are you? Oh my goodness, Tom. I'm well. How are you? I'm not sure about amazing, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> oh, well, I think you're amazing. I remember actually meeting you for the first time at the Perth Symposium last year, and I was almost like, I don't know, a bit starstruck. I went, went up and went, oh my <laughs> God, it's Sandra Lamb. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. And you're thinking, wow, who's this strange person and how much oh, coffee no, has no, he no. had? Well, thank you. I'm blushing. You can't see it, but I am. Oh, <laughs> Thanks, that, That's all right. It's a beautiful day in Perth, isn't it? Mm, if you like. I, actually, this is camping weather for me. Wow. Yeah. Camping's okay, but you know, not going out in a tent is probably better. We've had <laughs> we've had hail here three times this morning. Only little hail, but hail. Oh, I haven't had it here. That's probably why I say camping. How, hail and camping is not a good thing. No. But I actually quite like the rain yeah. under a tent yeah, because right. it's at one with nature, Tom. Oh, and you get that beautiful drumming noise as well, no? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> enough of that. All right, Sandra, uh, now I know a little bit about you, but can you tell the listeners who haven't heard of you a little okay. bit about yourself sure and what thing. you're currently up to? 
Oh my gosh, what am I talking about? I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I'm a, an endorsed organizational psychologist. So a lot of people say, well, what does that even mean? I think the understanding of psychology has evolved over the years, thank goodness, because when people think psychology, they often think clinical psych, you know, go there, sit down on a couch, have a chat, and just sort of help me sort out my problems. Organizational psychology is a field that specializes in interacting or in in looks at the workplace and how people interact in that workplace and how to optimize that. So we, I love that sort of field because it's complex. We're talking about human nature and we're talking about systems of work, which I also love because that's so much fun, which is great because now people understand that organizational, organizational psychology isn't about helping people organize. So that's what I do currently and probably for the last seven years now, I've spent a lot of my time in the FIFO industry basically to help FIFO workers, their partners, and of course the organization to look at the best way to get the most out of their FIFO population. I love that space, especially the psychosocial piece, which is everywhere at the moment because we're trying to minimize harm for the things that normal FIFO workers experience. And that's got to be a good thing, right, Tom? Yeah, it's got to be a good <laughs> thing. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I only lasted a, a short period of time in, in FIFO industry. And uh, that was because, well, certain things that I think most FIFO workers suffer, which is a bit of isolation and alienation from my family. And for me, it came down to a choice of which one did, would I prefer, a, a career in FIFO industry or keeping my family. And mm. uh, yeah, in, in that sort of situation, my family will always, always win out. And I know that's a situation for a lot of people that they have these difficult choices to make. So no, that's good. Absolutely. Um, what appealed to you about psychology? Because, you know, a lot of, well, I, I know a lot of people who do go into it, but I'm I'm one of those people that it, it would have no appeal to. So what appealed to it for you? I think there's nothing harder than trying to understand why people do what they do. Mm. And I like the complexities of things like that. I'm one of these people that go, give me a hard problem. I want to solve it. Once I've solved, I get bored and I move to the next hard problem. So I think psychology is the field where things are sometimes unpredictable. Other mm. times they are, but you never really know because there's so many factors that impact on why people do what they do. And mm. it could be something historical from their past or it could be something recent like yesterday. And understanding that and being able to navigate that is fascinating for me. Yeah, yeah. I I look at some people and, and yeah, it takes me a long time sometimes to try and work out their character and their beliefs, but I, I tend to get there eventually. How do, how do psychologists get to, I don't know, understanding what's going on with people to understand their actions? That's what we get trained in. It's all about human nature. I mean, we start off with, you know, developmental psych where we understand how kids' brains are formed and what forms first and why do they do stupid things afterwards, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's really understanding just the brain and the mind. And there's a lot of neuroscience involved in psychology. So we use a lot of that sort of knowledge. But one thing that most people probably don't know is a lot of psychology has to do with statistics mm -hmm. um, because we look at whether we can find commonalities within a certain group using statistics. So we can't just make predictions about certain behaviors and what that equates to if we don't use statistics to validate it. 
So a really good psychologist would also understand a lot about statistics and understand validity, reliability, and that sort of stuff as well, which to many is like boring because psychology sounds like a really people thing mm. and stats is so not. But, <laughs> but I think it's a combination of both that makes you a really good practitioner. So we talk about this concept called a science practitioner which is someone who is really good at the people side of things, but also can back it with science. So I aim to be that person wherever I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand that. And uh, for those sceptics who say that uh, statistics are always able to be manipulated and you, you never really know if you've got all the information when you're making assumptions, what would you say? <laughs> it's partially true. No, I mean, it's all about which angle, which question you're trying to ask. So you can, if you wanted to, and, you know, ethically, you, you shouldn't, you can actually use stats to your advantage if, if you're that way inclined. But, you know, we should be using statistics to solve a real life problem and faking it doesn't help you solve that problem if that's your aim. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not talking about uh, structuring questions so you get a favourable outcome to your argument that you're making. <laughs> it's possibly a bit of that. <laughs> it sounds like you're just, I'm on the spotlight here. It's, it is about priming. I suppose it's, it's like asking certain questions, you lead them down a certain path and yep. it gives them that particular answer. So you can, uh, oh my gosh, I'm going to. So I, when I was going through uni, mm-hmm. the sideway here, I was doing marketing units as well because I also loved a lot of the commerce units. And it got to the point where I realized you can use psychology so well in manipulation for marketing and advertising. But I chose not to go down that line because I thought I am using my power for good and not for evil. So I'm not going to go down that line. But you can sort of see when you look at everything that you buy, it's psychology. Yeah. And that is manipulation, unfortunately. So really, it's it, there's some truth in that. Perhaps I may have structured feedback questions in the past to, uh, I don't know, get a desired outcome occasionally. But uh, there you go. <laughs> it, it does it does tend to work. But yeah, I'm certainly not an expert. All right. Psychologists, how can they help businesses? Oh, my goodness. I think if you are a business who deals with people, psychology can help. Really, you're, you're thinking about what motivates people, whether it's purpose or mo- what motivates them in terms of bringing out their best skills if people need to be performers manage how to do it in a way that doesn't destroy them as human beings they can still be productive afterwards it's about setting systems up and setting up culture up which brings the best out of people so all of that sort of stuff is psychology so I think businesses understanding psychology would benefit a lot from it yeah why don't they use psychologists that often then because of an understanding of what psychologists do <laughs> um, <laughs> As I was saying before, I remember quite a number of years ago when I was talking about organizational psychology working in businesses and they said, why do we need that? Why don't they just have a couch at home? So there's still this belief that psychology is all about lying on a couch and telling people their problems. We, especially in Australia, I don't feel like, well, I must admit it's changing over the years. People don't understand the value of an organizational psychologist. There's always this belief that all psychology is to do with individual one-on-ones, but organizational psychology is about groups of people within the system to benefit and optimize performance to reach your strategy, which I think every board member would want to know about, wouldn't they? 
Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) You'd hope so. Just asking a a quick question, because it sounds very similar to what poor old ergonomists face insofar as the way they're treated or misunderstood. In your opinion, do you think in Australia, we tend to either devalue or disregard occupations uh, which which utilise science? Well, that's the best I can put to put on it. I'm not sure if they underutilize. Oh, well, they probably do to some degree. I think it's all about understanding the value of how science can play a part. Oh no, I'd, I'd say that we're getting better at it. Mm-hmm. It's really to do with lack of knowledge. I'd say they're not using it to the full potential. You know, yeah. I think about AI. It's, it's the latest that blows my mind. I mean, how did they even get to that point where we can do stuff like that? That's science, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> well, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, are you, are you at all worried that, you know, people will start turning to artificial intelligence for diagnosis of people's problems or, yeah. or why people's behaviour behave in a certain way? I mean... Oh, that... in many ways that's already existed, Tom. It's called Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh dear, yes. All right, psychology. Human resources, traditionally, mm. in a lot of organisations I've been in, they, they seem to believe that they have some sort of deep insight into people's personalities and that general human resources professionals, mm. would they actually benefit from, I don't know, doing some study into psychology? I actually think they do. So when you do a HR degree, there may be something called organisational behaviour as mm-hmm. a unit, and that's very much based on psychological principles. But I think about the whole HR life cycle, a majority of it requires some level of psychology. So I think about, you know, you recruit somebody, so you want to be using valid recruitment strategies and tools. You may want to use psychometrics to really determine whether people are suitable or not, whether they have the capacity and the capability. So that's the recruitment. Then you talk about employee engagement and motivation to keep people going and performing. That involves a lot of psychology because you're talking about designing reward systems and recognition systems and when you do performance management, how to do it properly. And then I think about, you know, the high level organizational culture and change management. That's also about psychology. How do you move people along, change their mindset, change their belief about whether this is a good thing or a bad thing? How do you make them feel less stressed about the change so they can actually get over to the other side and actually be productive for an organization? And then, of course, you've got your health and well-being. We know what stresses people out. We know how to generally fix it. So how do we create systems that help people not get stressed as often as they probably do? And how do we maintain them and help them recover if there's an issue? So all of that is psychology. Human resources, speaking of them, they have to deal with an awful lot of issues, don't they? They they have to deal with, well, traditionally they've dealt with all the sort of harassment, the bullying, the basically parenting some staff who need to be parented, uh, <laughs> cajoling, you know, basically being everything for everyone. Is it possible that HR professionals could end up with, uh, I don't know, associated trauma for dealing with uh, vicarious trauma? That's the word, vicarious trauma from dealing with all the events that are happening in an organisation? Oh, that's a really good question. Now, I'd, I'd say vicarious trauma 
can occur in both HR and health and safety professionals. Mm. When you think about, you know, the MISOs or ESOs or even ERTs to some degree, mm. they, they're often dealing with the bad side of in person, whether it's psychological injury or a physical injury, you're not getting the best out of the person. So I call both these fields, they're going to be exposed to low level cumulative stress mm. and also likelihood of vicarious trauma without a doubt. So when we're looking at sort of the health and safety requirements under the Work Health and Safety Act, I'd put both of those groups as vulnerable groups. And for those who want to do risk assessments, I would totally be doing it on those two groups because we forget them and we often think that that's just their normal. That's what the job entails. Yes, but it can also cause damage if we're not too careful. So, yeah, that's a really good question, Tom. Yeah, I I, I... I've seen some human resources people in the past and they they just look like constantly on edge because it's like, what now? Mm. You're going to work going, what disaster am I going to face today? Mm. But I guess it would be the same with the emergency response teams. They'd they'd constantly have a a period of flux where they're not actually doing an awful lot and then it's full on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, And I think it's any role where you can't predict what's going to happen today. Mm. People don't say, I'm planning to hurt my finger today, mm. or people don't plan to have an argument with somebody today. So all of these things are uncertain, there's ambiguity that you need to deal with. So those two fields, and even supervisors have to deal with ambiguity on a regular basis. And human nature likes to achieve. And sometimes when you're in those roles, you just feel like you never get to the end. And that can just be exhausting, both physically as emotionally and also mentally for these professionals. That's why I put them under a vulnerable group. Mm. So is there any way that people who are dealing with the unpredictable, because of course, as you said, it would be nice if people, you know, could schedule their accidents, their incidents, <laughs> their harassment claims, et cetera, you know, on a Google calendar or something. So, you, you, oh, yes, I've, two o'clock, I've got this event happening. But it doesn't happen like that, of course. Do you think it would be helpful if they were able to somehow compartmentalise incidents and accidents so that they didn't flow over into other parts of their lives? I think this is where you're talking about putting in controls. And in these controls, it's structural. So I would be, as if I was a leader in any of these groups, I would be making sure that there would be some downtime when we're not dealing with incidents, whether it's HR or health and safety, to give the person a break from the cognitive demand and emotional demand associated with it. So without that break, it's going to be quite an issue. You know, when we talk about risk assessment, we're talking about frequency duration. Mm-hmm. So I think in these cases for that particular group, decrease the frequency, which is really hard to do, is very unpredictable, or decrease the duration, which is the exposure. So I would apply that sort of model when I'm looking at helping these groups recover from the frequency of these issues that come up. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. Working for FIFO Focus, I've got the lovely card here in front of me. <laughs> uh, what, for those who don't know, what is FIFO Focus and what does it do? So FIFO Focus is really a boutique psychology firm. We aim to help, as I was saying early on, FIFO workers, their partners or families, as well as FIFO organizations to make sure that we don't hurt people while we're doing the FIFO life and also optimizing people in that sort of environment, which is not the easiest thing to do because there's lots of risks associated with FIFO. But that's what we mainly do. We do a lot of 
whether it's strategy work or advisory work, but also a heck of a lot of training, whether it's in the mental health space or it's in the psychosocial space, and more recently in the trauma-informed considerations into investigation space. So all of those things is just trying to, first of all, minimise harm through preparation and planning. And if when harm is done, how do you do early intervention? So a lot of our focus is we aim to be the one-stop shop in that area for the mm. FIFO industry. All right. In your opinion, I've got my own opinion, but in your mm-hmm. opinion, does people who participate in the FIFO industry, I guess we'd call it, do they face any specific risks? 100%. First of all, it's it's the rosters and shift patterns. So some of the rosters are not very family-friendly, so to speak. The four and ones are pretty bad. Mm. I know that there's some extreme rosters as well. I used to do aid work and I used to work overseas and my roster was six months on, three weeks off. Totally had knobs on it. But, you know, that I didn't have to do, when you're doing aid work, there's a strong purpose. So yeah, I think it sort of overrides a lot of the other complexities. But when you're talking about FIFO in general, the, the roster itself can have a major impact. The shift patterns, so when we're talking about shift patterns, we're really talking about, you know, your 12-hour shifts. People can't normally function for that long. And then you add that with getting up at stupid o'clock. Fatigue <laughs> has such a big impact, you know this. So that doesn't help as well. You're also more exposed to injuries, whether it's you know small first aid injuries or major traumatic injuries. And also, like you mentioned earlier on the remoteness, the isolation, if you've got no Wi-Fi, it's even worse, especially if your partner or family doesn't even realise that you don't have Wi-Fi and they think you're just ghosting them or something like that that's never a great thing which is what leads to things like relationship issues as well so there's a bit of a snowball effect because of these major challenges and risks associated with FIFO I think is that what you think yeah look uh, pretty much that's I reckon that's the tip of the iceberg to be honest I I I I think isolation is is huge absolutely huge and and I've been on sites myself where you know it's at camp there's like about a, a 10 square foot where you can actually get phone reception mm. and to see all the all the people every afternoon after work literally trying to gather in a tiny little area so they can call their family or partner or etc you know it's a bit sad in itself but also you know the reception anything like that anything that hampers communication is pretty ordinary and to be honest, it doesn't really matter how good technology is, even on these workplaces, actually being able to sort out issues in a face-to-face where you're sitting across the kitchen table from someone, you're never going to replace that with a, with a, with a Skype call or anything like that, or a a Zoom meeting or anything like that, which is, it's sad. And I, I certainly know a lot of people who family life has suffered significantly that's the that's the nice way of saying it anyhow mm, mm. Um, i agree i agree and um, we, we talk about a lot of relationships that fall apart because when they have conflict they can't finish it they can't complete it and get to the point where you know they're okay because they're separated by work yeah. like you say you know you can't you can't do it over a dinner table if you're miles apart yeah, so, it, yeah. It, it's quite easy to end a conversation by ending a connection or hanging up than it is actually, you know, to, to be in a room where you literally cannot walk away. You, yeah. you, 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 you stay there until you sort your differences out. That's right. But, right. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had people say that 
for the ones that are who aren't doing the FIFO, it's like it's like being a single parent. Yeah, there's there's a few issues, and it said fatigue accumulation because I think it does accumulate. I know for me, I can go for about four days with very little sleep, but there comes a time where my decision making process becomes very poor. Let's just say that, and <laughs> fil the filter off my mouth tends to disappear completely, and <laughs> patience goes. And so I. I the fact that you're doing 12 hour shifts, as you said, stupid o'clock time to get up. Yeah, it. there are a lot of issues there. And the fact that you might be spending extended periods of time with people you may or may not like, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. So there are some certain challenges there. Agree. Agree. Yeah. It's... <laughs> Just thinking about when I first started, now I've got to tell you, when I first started, I didn't want to tell my lovely wife that I was going away, but I had to tell her because, you know, she might notice I wasn't there. <laughs> but I, I did this whole pitch. I pitched this thing to her about, oh, it's, it's money and it's fantastic mm. and yada, yada. Did all the positive spin. And I deliberately didn't mention any of the negative stuff or potential negative stuff because... You know, I wanted to be able to do this. I needed to be able to provide for my family at the time. And this was the way to do it. I look back on that and go, what a big mistake that was because mm. I, I kind of misled, I kind of misled not only myself, but misled her and, mm. and the kids into thinking what it really entailed. Do you think that it might be nice if when people are signing on for FIFO for the first time or something, but they had to go through some sort of session where they actually, you know, were, were given informed, were, were able to make an informed decision considering the risks and what it would mean not only to them, but also to their friends and their family before they actually sign on? Or do you think oh, that might just scare everyone away? And it's been... funny you should say that, Tom. We actually have a program called Making FIFO Work For You that does exactly that. We often get the mining companies asking us to deliver that as part of the induction. So it's not before they sign on, but it's soon afterwards. And also other times when they've got graduates or early careers people. And in that program, we talk about the challenges associated with FIFO, setting yourself up for success through understanding what you're trying to do, knowing your purpose, knowing your plans, understanding what you're trying to achieve. Because when you're in those four walls in Odonga and this is a really shitty day, can I swear <laughs> on this? Can I? Yeah, 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 of course you can. Then you've got to think about why I'm doing this and my family needs to understand why we're doing this as well. What are we trying to achieve and being specific with that goal? So we talk about all of those things in this program because we know that when you know what you're getting yourselves into, whether it's the partner or yourself, you can cope with it a lot better. So you're 100% correct. There would be a lot of benefits of people knowing what they're getting themselves into and where they need to get help if things are starting to slide. And, you know, an opportunity to be on the same page with stuff like that would be really useful. Yeah. I floated this idea to a few people who have been involved in the resource industry for some period of time and I had a really strong reaction from maybe about 50% of them. And that was in Western Australia, in Perth in particular, well, Go with that. In Perth in particular, there is not one person you will meet who either is not involved in the FIFO industry or knows someone who is involved in the FIFO industry. Exactly. And they all talk. 
Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And they tell you what the problems are. So people are making informed decisions before they go on. And they said, what you're talking about is basically holding their hand and, and being a parent to them. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I, it would have really helped me if I would have helped my family situation if if they had some more of an idea before I went in. but um... Totally, totally. Especially if, you know, we have people going on site not realising that if they have an Optus or Vodafone connection, they won't get anything. And those, if you're away for two weeks and your partner at home don't realise that you need Telstra to be on site and that's on a good day, things can really spiral downwards very quick. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's the smallest thing like that. People need to understand. Do you think also that as part of the ongoing, I don't know, health of our FIFO people that perhaps they might benefit for some independent financial counselling? Yes, we we talk about financial wellbeing as well. And, and in our program, in that one, I'm selling my program, I'm not, I don't mean to, but we spend a lot of effort putting this one together. We talk about understanding your your spending habits and how it may change when you go on FIFO for both parties. Mm. I know I'm just generalizing, you know. <laughs> but, but I, I, I remember, I remember some of the boom times a little while ago and there were young people coming out of high school. I tell you, I'm old. I can say young people now. <laughs> <laughs> there were younger, younger people who were coming onto site and they were, they were getting extraordinary amounts of money thrown at them. Mm. And, and to be honest, no one had ever basically spoken to them about saving being responsible this is not going to last forever sort of situation mm. and so they went and bought you know the 80 90 000 car they went and bought the two jet skis they bought bought you know the 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 mcmansions and stuff like that believing that it was going to last forever mm. and then they had a downturn mm-hmm. and the amount of people who were basically having to sell everything and and left the industry after years literally with nothing or with a huge debt because mm-hmm. they'd invested in not wisely shall we say was really sad and and I've I've seen even young people and I can say young people again young people on site who literally despite their quite respectable salaries 
were hanging out listening to radios for, you know, because if this horse won, they'd be able to pay their rent for another week. But if they didn't, they had nothing. And yeah. that's that's kind of sad as well. It's super sad. So it, I had HR background, HR management, and the number of people who come in and they've got six-figure salaries asking for a paid advance every month or not every month, but, you know, a monthly pay advance that blows my mind especially when they've been doing it for a while so it's certainly not about how much you make but it's what you do with it you know and how much you're saving and are you invite are you investing wisely yeah definitely and you know that's I think that's why a lot of the graduates and the early careers people really like those sorts of programs just to help them reset and think about how to you can have a great life in the next few years because you're earning so much money, you can spend it, but is that really helping your future self? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really teaching them that delayed gratification because they'll have a better future as a result of it. Um, yeah, and, and those sorts of training, I think is really useful for that generation. Yeah, yeah. I, it's funny you mentioned delayed gratification. I think we live in a society now where it's all about instant gratification. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and I think that, hinders long-term decision making but separate subject we'll stick to (laughs) where we're at in the last in the last year last 12 months we've had thirty-two thousand people from eastern states move to western australia predominantly i'd suggest to take up roles in the resource industry in fifo capacity Mm. now that's an awful lot of people that's by any standard is it a lifestyle that's going to suit everyone I think it it can be a lifestyle that suits a lot of people if they know what they're doing. And when I say know what they're doing, I think about oh, the three Ps, I suppose. Understand the purpose. What are they trying to achieve goal-wise? Being prepared so they know, you know, they're setting themselves up. And I'm talking about preparation when you have routines at home versus routines at work. And also a plan for when things go wrong. And that plan can also mean a trigger plan for when you decide you won't do FIFO for a short period of time because of X, Y, and Z reason. So I think if you prepare yourself in that way or plan and also have a purpose, you can make this FIFO life work really, really well for you. But when you go in blind thinking it's just about the money, whether it's to reduce debts or increase money for a better lifestyle for my family, if you're not clear enough about that, it can really set you back a bit later on you it will hurt later so is it for everybody yes if you know exactly what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it and also have plans in place when things go wrong excellent all right hmm all right several large resource companies we won't name names but uh, several large resource companies, and we're talking very large, publicly released reports and, and congratulations to them for releasing reports publicly I I, I the reports weren't that stellar in nature. In fact, they painted a pretty grim picture of certain things that are happening on remote sites, shall we say. Mm. Um, but kudos to them for actually releasing details publicly. I think that's a good first step. And these reports basically detail things such as widespread bullying and harassment, mm. sexual harassment, and, well, there's no way to make it a polite thing. S- sexual offences occurring on mm. FIFO sites. How sort of, how prevalent in your opinion, because you, you, 
you deal with sites and you deal with these issues. How prevalent are these issues on FIFO and remote sites? That is a question that I have been asked a fair bit. It, it's probably a lot, how do I describe this, even though I've been asked this multiple times, it's, it, the, the reports that came out shocked a lot of people because mm. they didn't realise the impact or, or not they realised the impact, but they didn't realise the extent of the problem. But also I would say there are some sites where this doesn't exist at all. So it's really hard to just sort of paint the whole industry with the same brush. And I think that in the places where it doesn't happen at all is where you've got really an authentic culture of care. Let's talk about sexual harassment. So we know that the, you know, some of the key drivers for when sexual harassment can occur is when you've got a power imbalance with your leadership group and, you know, the gender equality in that space. People are not even aware of what sexual harassment looks like. In the mining industry, it's very much to do with toxic masculinity. It's, it is a very bloke culture. So the more you have of these things, the likelihood that sexual harassment may occur. And I think a lot of the industries now is picking up on that and they're doing a lot of you know, upstander training and bystander training and you know all that sort of stuff. And what is sexual harassment? I think that's really useful. But we need to start thinking about how to really shift the culture away from this toxic masculinity. And I think about even when I was in mining, I'd go up to the site and I was predominantly in the, in the Perth office and then I'd, in, I'd be in projects and I see some of my male colleagues go up on site and, you know, Ben became Benno and Darren became Dazza, in, not just by name, but it's just the way they act. And then I really reflect on myself and I go, I go up there and I have a bit more of a strut because I'm in this steel captain. I think, wow, how, how did that even occur? Because we fit in with the culture and it is blokey. And I even myself, I feel like I have to, be a little bit more blokey and if that's a real value of a company then these harassments and bullying and intimidation cases will occur I don't know whether that's a long way around it but I, I really think it's to do with all of those systems that we have in place that either reinforce it or kill it off and I think companies are really looking at what they're doing in that space now which is good but there's still a fair bit of way to go all right. I mentioned some sites where there, there is zero or virtually zero of this. What mm. are some of the characteristics of those sites that enable that to be the case? I think it's to do with sites where they, they've come from a family-grown mentality. There's a real care for each other. There's really respect for each other's differences. So I'm talking inclusion and diversity here. I'm not just saying that because everyone talks about inclusion and diversity, but you can tell in these places people can't see colour, race, gender. Mm. They just see you. And I think that's where these things won't occur because there's such a respect for the people that you work with. Sure, there are some people that you just don't get along with, but you still respect them for who they are. And that's okay. That I think they're really prevalent. I mean, I go to multiple sites and there's some sites where I go, oh my gosh, I can cut the air with a knife here. It's so thick and toxic. Mm. And there's others where I go, pick me. Can I come back? Because I just love it. And you can really just feel it. So, you know, that they talk about culture being just the way things, just the way we do things around here. It really is that. And when you go there, just getting on the plane or even getting on a bus, people notice you and you can just feel that, okay, they're just sleepy. They're not just ignoring you. 
but then there's others where you go okay you kind of don't feel safe and I'm not talking about physically unsafe and I'm not talking about sexual harassment unsafe I'm just feeling like I just don't feel like I belong Mm -hmm. and I think that can yeah that can be a bit of an issue for these organizations yeah speaking of diversity there's one uh, we'll say bit one big player in the resource field that has started a few years ago but they've got a definite push to actually have 50 50 50 equality in gender based well gen, gender gender across all roles would this actually help or is this just kind of window dressing I'm going to say it depends for this one I think it depends on how truly committed the organization is in shifting the belief system. If you if you if it's just a quota system for the sake of quota system, but everything to do with that organization just seems like it, they don't care, then it's just not going to work because you just get more people annoyed, arced up about it because it's clearly just a quota thing. But if it is a case of I had no idea that this gender imbalance is actually holding us back. We should be promoting more people, more females, because they're awesome and, you know, we can all work together well if we have a better gender balance, then it's totally going to work. So really, I don't think it's to do with the quota itself, but it's to do with everything else that even either enables that to really thrive or really just it's just another smoking mirror things, which I've seen, unfortunately. So, yeah, that is a depends question. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. I've got a lot of respect for frontline supervisors because to me, mm. uh, having having done the role, it it, it, it is the, the hardest challenge of all. You, you, you're kind of the meat in the sandwich between senior management pushing down policies and procedures and, and workers pushing back with perhaps resistance to some of these policies and procedures, which they feel like may limit their ability to do the work. And you've somehow got to find the perfect medium in between to to satisfy everyone's needs and to get jobs done. But as I said, a lot of supervisors get promoted because you know they're, they're great workers and mm. they you know they 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 live the company ethos. But they don't get very much training in you know staff management or, or psychology or even being able to effectively identify these behaviours such as bullying and harassment, sexual harassment, et cetera. Do you think they should? Mm. They're, I'm trying to remember the exact source, but they're, they're finding that when it comes to bullying and harassment, the biggest factor that leads to that is actually poor management practices. Mm. So definitely if leaders are aware of, how to lead the team, inspire the team, support the teams, you're going to have less incidents of bullying harassment. You know, I, I'd like to think that there aren't just assholes out there who go into infiltrate workplaces and just make life miserable for others. I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that some of these things have just caught some of the environment that they're in, the workplace, the design and things like that cause them to snap too often and they've now taken it out on somebody else. Maybe that's really naive, but I really do think that if we create the right environment that is very supportive, you, people are heard, they get enough training, they get 
an opportunity to grow, all of that sort of thing, you're going to have less cases of that occurring. But when you have leaders who aren't aware of those things, but also leaders who don't provide clarity because that confuses, human beings like to have some certainty, right? Mm. So if there's no clarity about what they're supposed to be doing, how they're supposed to be doing, don't have access to resources to help them, it's going to come to a point where they're just going to behave really badly um, because it might be a survival mechanism and it's a terrible, completely wrong way to try and survive, but it might lead to something like that, which is not great. So yes, long answer, yes. Supervisors need to be understanding human nature and how their role in creating clarity and motivating people and listening to people and dealing with conflict, all of that sort of stuff could actually minimise some of these inappropriate, unreasonable behaviours that occur in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I gotta, I gotta say naively, perhaps. I, 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 until very recently, I used to believe that frontline supervisors literally had the most control, literally the whole control over the culture and the environment of the teams that they actually provide. But recently, I, I've seen examples where sort of toxic, narcissistic mm. sort of leadership higher up the chain has it sort of like drip fed down to the frontline leaders where they've seen that that sort of behavior is acceptable mm-hmm. or is actually rewarded. Mm-hmm. And therefore they've then gone and brought that behavior down on how they treat their staff. Yeah, it, it it's a bit it's, of a challenge. Yeah, well, there's role modeling and it's role modeling of the poor kind. I, I do think also, you know, when you're setting up an, an organization and you're putting KPIs at the upper echelon that is to do with just production and not really caring about people, people become dog-eat-dog and they're learning these behaviours because they're rewarded for these behaviours and then it's going to drill down because essentially the rest of the organisation or below you are saying, oh, in order to succeed, I need to be like this. Mm. Uh, So it just becomes the way we do things around here, which is cultural. Yeah, definitely. So I, I think about... You know, when we're trying to do culture change, it's not just about changing individual mindsets, but it's to change the processes and systems that enable it. And if we're not looking at some of the procedures that's probably setting us backwards in terms of what culture we're trying to achieve, then you're really not going to get there. So I think about what are you rewarding people for? So what are the board members rewarding their executives on? And is it balanced enough? Is it if you're pushing too hard, the whole production over performance is a very much a reality. And you can't just say, oh, yes, we care about our people, but we're just going to work you to the bone at the same time because mm-hmm. that's what I get paid for. And it's you've got to look at the whole system. Rather controversial in safety circles, what I'm about to say, but I love is, a bit of controversy. <laughs> isn't 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 that just classic behavioralism? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> reward rewarding people for certain behaviors so we train them into to, to becoming yeah. basically the 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 round peg in the round hole yeah pretty much well, I, I agree with you it, it is it's, it is <laughs> behavioralism yeah i don't know I, I wondered where how we got to this point in all honesty i just how does it get to the point where people's individual finances are more important than the societal health i Maybe I'm just totally idealistic here. No, but... no, no. I think I think, <laughs> I, I think you're right. You, you, 
you're talking again back to that thing we talked about about instant gratification we're, mm. we're, we're talking about the instant reward here and now which usually yeah. happens let's be honest over a 12-month period which is what those wonderful things kpis are based on and mm. if we achieve certain things we'll get an instant reward at the end of the thing a bit like the monkey pressing down on a button to get a, a piece of banana really mm-hmm. but definitely yeah there's not much long-term thinking or societal benefit perhaps that goes into some of these things but anyhow that's a different story i do, I do wonder whether you know you've got targets like esg targets will help sort of balance it out a little bit more i'm not really sure but then again i think you know prior to the whole esg thing we had you know, what's it called? Corporate social responsibility. We had things like that. And then, you know, we added in things like employee engagement. So we've always had something along those lines. So I don't know, maybe the ties will change and we will have a better balance of people over productivity or performance, really, yeah. or pay. You know, I don't know. I think eventually we might get there if we keep focusing on not forgetting about the people. Yeah, I love your optimism. I'm, I'm smiling <laughs> here because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm I'm probably a bit fair bit older than you, Sandra, and I'm probably thinking, yeah, no, nah, that's not going to happen in my <laughs> lifetime. It's a massive ship to turn, especially in this industry. Especially, in the, I mean, I think this year we have, I've never seen people as close to burnout than I have this past year. Yeah. And I go, why? Are we wanting more things? Maybe it's society creating all of this because there's a demand and when there's demand, we need the stuff to build the stuff that we are demanding, which is, you know, then there's more competition, which is creating more people to want higher output. You know, I don't know. Have we created our own beast? I don't know. (laughs) I can sit and lie down and contemplate the universe in that way, I suppose. Very good, very good. <laughs> All right, FIFA Focus. Are you are you only helping out industry in Western Australia, or are you all across Australia? So we had some clients in Queensland as well, but COVID really shot them. Mm. So now we're just sort of maintaining mainly our WA clients. But you know, if there's interesting enough work to do it over east, then we do it. But there's also some great other org site firms that can help sort of assist in that space. So you know, if you're thinking about funds and it might be worthwhile looking at other places as well but i'll i'll never say no we don't go over east because we were there before but we yeah focusing majority i mean 95 percent of our work is actually in western australia excellent yeah all right sandra lamb it's been an absolute pleasure speaking today but time seems to have got away from us thank you once again for coming on and i look forward to speaking to you again soon for sure thanks tom it's great chatting to you I'm going to listen to some more and also chat to you again later on. Thanks, Sandra. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.